This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium. You're listening to Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access radio station, and I'm Lynn Trafford, presenting Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society Parangi. This program is your opportunity to meet practicing and recently retired scientists from around the Bay. With me in the studio today is Christopher Thorman, known to family, friends and associates as Chris. Chris Thorman's education was UK-based, with his secondary schooling in Scotland and tertiary studies at the University of Wales in Bangor, North Wales. A quick read through his CV, and it becomes obvious that Chris Thorman's employment in the UK and in New Zealand is primarily focused around one of our most favourite crops, potatoes. Coming to live in Hawke's Bay in 2016, in early 2018, he joined the staff of the Eastern Institute of Technology as a horticultural tutor, taking over the programme management of the Level 5 post-harvest diploma. Working at EIT has afforded Chris Thorman the opportunity for interesting horticultural research. We welcome Chris Thorman to Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air. Hello, Chris. Hello, Lynn. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to have you in the studio. Now, you're not a Hawke's Bay boy, are you? Whereabouts were you born? And then where did you head off to primary school, please? I was born in Hong Kong. Uh, my father was in shipping. Uh, we then moved to Singapore, and I did my sort of uh, first early years education there, and then went was sent to Yorkshire to schooling uh, in a boarding school in the uh, Ilkley on the Ilkley Moor Bar Tat. Yes, we won't start singing, especially not in front of our technician Ken here, because he was just as likely to burst into song when you mention things like that. You went to a secondary school that, funnily enough, has a bit of a link to us here in the Bay, didn't you? Yeah, I went to um, Loretto, which is uh, based in in uh, Edinburgh in Scotland, um, and um, and. Lindisfarne is basically modelled on on Loretto. So while I was at Loretto, it was their 250th anniversary. Um, And uh, some of the people who set up Lindisfarne um, saw the young boys walking down Princess Street in Edinburgh in their smart red jackets and... um, Hence the red jackets at Lindisfarne. I just love that story, and it's quite nice to have a wee link there, that even when you were at school over there, you would not have known that at some stage in your life you were going to be out here nice and close to Lindisfarne. Okay, I'm looking now for what I'm going to call a turn-on moment. There is often a something that happens to us at primary school or at secondary school, but generally speaking, when we're growing up, that leads us to the career it is that is going to be in front of us for the rest of our lives. Was there a turn-on moment for you that pointed you in the direction of agriculture, horticulture, that sort of thing? Um, yeah, I've just always liked being around the outdoors um, and being involved in 
driving tractors and Land Rovers and what have you. So, um, yeah, my great uncle had a, a small dairy farm in the Yorkshire Dales and we used to go and make hay there and so on and so forth. And um, I just fell in love with it's set comfortably. agriculture. Yep. Isn't that nice when that happens? I think that's really good. So, 1981 to 1984, off you go to the University of Wales to do a BSc Honours in Agriculture. Now, I had presumed a reason why you went to that particular university, but I was could not have been more wrong, could I? What was the main reason for you going to that university? Um, I, they have good rivers in North Wales, and um, I was doing quite a lot of canoeing at the time, so it seemed like a good place to go to university because I could uh, go paddle the rivers. <laughs> See, now how wrong could I have got that? <laughs> anyway, but I do relate to it, and North Wales is particularly beautiful anyway, yep. isn't it? So for an outdoorsy-type person, <clears throat> it was all going to sit very comfortably with you. I want to jump forward to your employment, sort of your first proper employment, I'm going to say, about potatoes anyway, was uh, Strathurin Seed Growers Limited. What were you doing there? Um, I was, after I finished university, I was at home um, wondering what to do, and I met one of the local um, guys who ran the local potato operation, uh, and um, he asked me to go and work for him, and um, I ended up just gradually getting involved in seed potato production in Scotland. Scotland's famous for seed potato production, Um, and yeah, it was a big industry, and we had a lot of fun. As a Mrs. Health housewife, when you're going around the supermarket, it's very easy to think a potato is a potato is a potato. And maybe you might see two or three varieties in the supermarket, one good for boiling and one good for roasting or something equally as simple. But that is not the case, is it? No, we have a whole range of varieties and, and they're bred um, around the world um, for different um, areas. So you have different varieties will be good for crisping, different varieties will be good for chipping, different varieties will be good for boiling. Um, And some of the old varieties are are, are fascinating in that they have real flavour. A lot of the modern varieties are bred for yield rather than rather than flavour. I hate to hear you say that. That is not what a consumer really, really wants to know, is it really? We want to know that we're getting a super-duper spud when we go and buy it. Whilst you were there, there was a find of a particularly old potato that you told me was a sort of gypsy's one or the gypsies had or the gypsies found or something there's a gypsy story there yeah we we um had developed a business uh pre internet and pre um yeah pre pre ordering online uh through the catalog um industry um where we delivered potatoes to horticultural gardeners in the UK and that's it's a very big business there um and we were handling something in the order of 140 different varieties um, and we specialised in looking for old varieties, and we heard a story about a, uh, a, a variety called um, Yetum Gypsy um, in the village of Yetum in the borders, um, and it was the potato that the the gypsies used. It was their potato, and it was it's unique in that it has a, a dark blue uh, colour to it, but then it has white blotches on it, and between the white blotches and the dark blue, it's red. 
So you had these red circle areas, so with red, white, and blue. And the Queen's Jubilee was coming up, and of course everyone thought we could have a red, white, and blue potato. Um, and we found one disease plant in, a, in a, a garden down in this village and managed to rescue that and um, reproduce it at, at Sasa in, in Edinburgh. Um, and it was known as Mr. Little's Yetham Gypsy. Um, and, um, yeah, we sell it, or we sold it as microplants so people could grow their own, own potatoes from this. I think it's just quite a nice story and, and just a bit serendipitous, really. Um, a, a few years earlier or later, and you'd have missed that, that key marketing opportunity of a red, white and blue potato. You went from there to farm electronics, and I particularly want to talk about this one because one doesn't think of refrigerating potatoes. Well, you might think about that, of course, working in the industry, but as a consumer, we know that a lot of our fruit is refrigerated to keep it nice for when the consumer wants to eat eat it. But I don't think quite the same way about potatoes. Why are we refrigerating? Um, it's less of an issue here in New Zealand because we tend to harvest pretty much not, uh, 12 months of the year. But in the UK, um, crop has to be harvested by October. Otherwise, it's going to go through the winter and get frosted and, and, and the weather conditions don't allow you to lift. So um, potatoes that are lifted will be put into large refrigerated stores and some of those stores can be a thousand tons, two thousand tons stores and they've got large refrigeration units in them. Um, we developed refrigeration purely and simply for controlling our seed potatoes and making sure that we kept them in a really healthy state. Because um, you don't want them to sprout too early. Don't want the them to sprout too early and, yeah. and in, indeed here in New Zealand we tend to bring the, the potatoes up from, from the South Island where the main seed growing area is um, and we'll store them in refrigeration refrigerated um, buildings until we're ready to plant. So we are still doing that, but not for potatoes that we are going to then consume. Um, we don't store. We do store some potatoes. Um, for instance, the potatoes going for crisping will be stored, but they can only be stored at about eight degrees because they caramelise. Uh, they they um, they sugar if you store them and any you colder. Don't want that to happen, do and you? That's and then you end up with dark crisps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so. that's horrible when that happens. Uh-uh. All right, 1997. You go to Specialist Potatoes Limited, and you're looking for at that particular time marketing diversity. What do you want to do? Uh, we were just looking for um, interesting new varieties that we could um, um, put on the supermarket shelf or um, sell to gardeners so that they could grow some of the old, old varieties. So we were growing stuff that was 40-fold, um, Mr. Bressy, America. Um, these were varieties that have long since gone, but they, um, they, they were you know, 100 years old. Um, so, um, yeah, just interesting to have something a bit different. It is, isn't it? And particularly for a scientist, I, I would imagine. For some strange reason, you get the urge to come to New Zealand right at the end of 2004. You told me you wanted an adventure and you specifically chose New Zealand for some things. What were the reasons you chose New Zealand? Um, we, we were sat in our cottage in Scotland and it was cold and it was miserable and we were thinking we needed to do something. The kids were four and, and uh, eight at the time. Um, and um, we looked around the world and said Canada's, well, too cold and America, well, no thank you. And South Africa's a bit 
dangerous and so we focused on Australia and New Zealand and, and basically picked New Zealand because they speak the right kind of language and, and they drive on the correct side of the road so um, yep, New Zealand so it was <laughs> <laughs> So that's how we inherited your family here in New Zealand In 2005 you start work for A.S. Wilcox and Sons Now this is an iconic company in New Zealand but a lot of people will not even know what they do what do they do? Um, most people in New Zealand will have uh, eaten their produce and probably every week. Um, they grow potatoes, strangely enough, uh, and they also grow carrots and onions. So um, pretty much, um, uh, yeah, if you eat potatoes, carrots or onions, you probably will have eaten their, the, the products they grow. That's right. They're very iconic here, aren't they? And we, we all know them and it's a family, really. That Those of us that actually know the particular company know also it is a wonderful company to be involved with. We're going to come back to them in a few minutes' time because back to the UK you go for your wife's work. It gives you the time to work on your own study part-time whilst you're back over in the UK and it gives you time to do further work on potatoes. But I'm going to skip through that all because in 2016 back you come to New Zealand and you go back to the same company that we were talking about a minute ago, Wilcox & Sons. So let's start there again with what you are doing this time. And I'd like particularly to talk about the potatoes that are used by Eta and Bluebird. Um, Yeah, well, um, in 2016 when we came back, um, Kevin Wilcox asked me to to, um, work with them again. Um, And um, I was very pleased to be um, part of the company again. and I specifically worked on the um, delivery of, of the crisp, of the crisping varieties, the production and crisping varieties into Bluebird and Eater Crisps. Um, th- um, yeah, so we we were we're growing about eight eight different varieties for different slots at different times into the into the the, the crisping factories, um, well, and it's what's fascinating. What's about a, a potato crisp? Potato from an ordinary old one that we buy in the supermarket. What are you specifically looking for that makes it good? We want um, potatoes that are, are the right kind of shape because then they make nice round crisps. We don't want long crisps or funny odd shaped crisps. Uh, and we want high dry matter potatoes that, because um, you fry off most of the water. So uh, if you've got um, potatoes that are 22 to 26% dry matter, um, they take less potato to make crisps less tons so you put about four tons of potatoes in to get one ton of crisps out um, the higher dry matter the better the conversion ratio yeah and we want them nice and crisp and crunchy don't we as them. a consumer we, yeah. that's what we're looking for not a soggy old crisp you want a crunchy crisp and you want yeah. a, a color crisp that is the right color you don't want something that fries good. too dark and you don't want something that's too peely wally white no so we don't tend to think about that as a consumer either do we we just open the bag and and if it was soggy we would we would be very upset yes but yep. That's about all as consumers. So it's quite nice to know that they grow something very special so that we get the right kind of chippy when we open our packets up. All right, there comes a time, as I said in my intro, 2018, you get a job with EIT as a tutor. Bit of a quantum leap. Was it a good one? 
It was a bit of a contemplate. Yes, it was. My wife was um, working down here, um, and it was a little bit too far away to be ca- carrying on working up in Pukekohe in Auckland, um, and we were trying to create a life here. Um, so, sadly, had to had to move on from Wilcox because one of the best companies I've ever worked for. Um, and um, yeah, the job of a horticultural tutor came up. My specialist area is post harvest, um, and um, so yes, I've had to learn. A lot about the apple industry very quickly. I want to come back to the specific qualification. You told me off here that there was no qualification that was specifically post-harvest and that the introduction was industry-driven. Why, Chris, do we need a qualification that is specifically post-harvest? Um, the, the packing industry is a huge industry, packing a um, billion dollars worth of apples, and then also there's all the kiwi fruit and avocados and everything else. Um, and industry decided that there was no uh, recognised qualification for their staff in that post-harvest area. So from the point where you pick the apple off the tree to delivering it to the customer, um, and so the industry developed a post-harvest diploma with the help of. Um, the ITO and, and DIT, and EIT delivered that. that so what goes into a diploma that has a specific focus on post-harvest? What are we looking at that is different from maybe a different diploma? Um, well, we're looking at, at everything to do with um, harvesting, um, storing and packing and dispatch of, of uh, a product. It yep. doesn't matter what it is. Uh, so we've got um, uh, eight different courses that are uh, part of the post-harvest diploma. Um, and um, those are allow people who are normally in silos within their their pack house they'll be doing one particular area to actually experience and get knowledge across the whole pack house so this is aimed at people who are probably in their 20s and early 30s who are stars in the 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 pack house area uh, to gain a a proper qualification a recognized nzqa qualification um and 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 yes get some PD, some some further education, um, and it's building. You know that's becoming really popular. Is we're, it? Yeah, we're getting uh, instead of people being put on the course, we're getting people saying, "I've heard the course is good. I'd like to I come want on it." To come now, this isn't full time, is it? And it's not all year. Because it's no. got to fit round the harvest. Yeah, we we have to fit round when the packing season is. So um, we tend to teach this um, from uh, July through to December, uh, and it's two days a week that the students come in and 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 work with us, and then they do four courses one year and four courses the next year. But they can then spread it out and do it at two courses a year if it's it's too much because it's it's a a full on course. It's nothing nothing easy. I should hope not. You get a diploma at the end of it. You've got to do your stuff, yep. don't you, to get it there. I have some great it... people, on it? <laughs> I'm sure you have done. And you'll probably continue to see them, Hawke's Bay, being such a small place. You're going to run into these people. And some of them might want to come back, which leads me to, this is a diploma course. Yep. Is it likely to extend in some way? Are we likely to have it at some <coughs> stage, a degree course? Um, we'd like to do that. Um, at the moment, we, it's the, the only place it's taught is here at, at EIT, which will become to Pukenga tomorrow. Um, and we would like to be able to make it available across New Zealand, um, but we need resources and, and, and some 
money money to do to make it <laughs> How work did i know you were going to yeah. say money can people do this online or is it one of those courses that you actually have to come at the moment you actually have to be here and and it's a face-to-face course largely um but yes the the opportunity to develop into an online course but that's a very specialist teaching uh, area and, and yeah i grow, I grow potatoes <laughs> Post, post-harvest, as you've already alluded to, to us here in the Bay, is really critical to us with our fruit, isn't it? We've got most of what we develop here disappears out of the Bay. Oh, absolutely. So you know, there's... what happens to it? Well, there's everything from how it's treated. It come, you know, as soon as you take an apple off a tree, it, you kick off the physiology, and it's alive. This fruit yes, it is, is alive. alive. Yes. It's respiring. It's giving off heat. It's giving off carbon dioxide. Uh, you've got to treat that. Every every time you don't do something right with it, reduces the shelf life on it, um, and that's the same with any product that you grow. So um, yeah, you've got to got to handle it correctly. You do, and we expect our fruit to go from here right to the other side of the world. So we know that's what's going to happen to it. Where it goes to on the other side of the world, they're expecting perfection. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and you so go into all the that is covered in your diploma. All of it's covered in the diploma. Every every side of it. So we were looking at the packing machinery. We're looking at the you know the, the it's it's mind boggling when you go into a pack house and you see the flow of apples going through. Oh, it's, uh, phenomenal, it's phenomenal to see, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you've got every fruit is photographed two hundred times yep. as it goes through the pack line. I mean, you know, that's just. It's wonderful to see. I love going. It's yeah. kind of hypnotic to me yeah. because so much fruit is disappearing in front of your eyes. One of the things that's really, really important when we are growing our perfect fruit and veggies here in the Bay is, of course, the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that old program that we used to hear on the radio in the 1950s, which always there was someone saying, the answer lies mm-hmm. in the soil. The soil. <laughs> it's 100% right, is it not? Uh, yes, it is. I mean, everything we eat and everything we grow is grown in that medium. And um, and so it's it's a crucial part of production. You are using a very specific tool, or at least you're trialling a specific at the moment, a gamma ray spectrometer. Now, first of all, what is a gamma ray and what makes a gamma ray a useful tool? We're um, validating at the moment at DIT um, a, a gamma, ray, gamma ray spectrometry system um, for use in New Zealand soils. So this allows uh, the... Uh, it, it mounts on the front of an ATV, and as you drive over the soil, it picks up the background radiation, so the thorium, the cesium, the potassium, and the, the uranium, and it measures the the amount of, of background radiation. Now, don't panic. It's not giving off radioactivity, and, and it's there all the time. Uh, you're not getting irradiated by it. And from those measurements and also some calibration soil samples we physically take in the soil, you can then work out what your nutrient status is in the soil, so all your micronutrients, your macronutrients. You can work out how much your percentage of your sand, silt, clay is there, how much organic matter is there, how much carbon is there, uh, what the leakability of the soil is, uh, what the cation exchange is, and you can map your soils down to about 10 square metres for for about 40 different parameters and produce those maps and overlay those over your yield maps to look at which bits of the field are producing 
good quality product or, or producing good yield and which bits aren't and then you can start making management decisions about how to deal with it. the other side of that is the environment side which is that um, if we know what we're doing we can manage our soils better and that fits into the the degree that EIT have developed in environmental management. Yes yeah, so this is where your horticultural stuff is coming into an, another degree course yep. any, anyway so anyone wanting to study post-harvest or, or in fact pre-harvest I guess the soil this, this sits nicely with it I've been fortunate enough to see these maps they're pretty whipty do aren't they really it's it's um, a huge it's a quantum leap forward in managing our soils yes. and if we're going to have to manage soils to meet government legislation and government requirements and and know how much carbon we've got etc this is potentially if we can get it if we can validate it and make it work, this is potentially a game changer for um, soil management in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's wonderful to see and good on EIT and yourself, Chris, for undertaking this study. So thank you, Chris Thorman, Horticultural Tutor and Programme Coordinator in the area of post-harvest. Thank you for being my guest on Hawkspace Scientist on Air. If you have never done so, have a look at the website of A.S. Wilcox & Sons. The company was established in 1954 and has continued to grow and market potatoes, onions and carrots ever since, becoming an integral part of New Zealand's agricultural industry. Also check out the horticultural courses on offer at EIT, including the courses available online. EIT does offer scholarships across various subjects and programme levels as well. Hit Google. Similarly, have a look at the monthly lecture programme available via Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society. You are welcome to attend. Please join me every Monday morning at 9.30 to meet another practising or recently retired scientists from around the bay. I'm Lynn Trafford. And there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.